You're listening to the Chris the Freelancer podcast. Hello and welcome to the Chris the Freelancer podcast. This is the podcast all about location independence, time freedom, and living life on your terms. Each week we interview a new guest on the show, and today I'm sitting down with Greg Hung, the man in Chiang Mai who's all about making money with video. In this week's episode, Greg and I talk about following your passion and the various ways you can make money with video. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode seven with Greg Hung. For show notes and more, visit ChrisTheFreelancer.com. All right, I'm here with Greg Hung. We're at a pun space late at 8.42 on a, uh, what is it today? Tuesday Tuesday. evening. Yeah. How how are you doing? Good. Yeah. Really good. Nice. Yeah. Funny story how Greg and I met or how I sort of figured out what he actually does. We we met um, when I was filming my video on where to work in Chiang Mai. And um, yeah, he was one of the guys working out of Mana at the time. And we had a we had a short chat, but I wasn't really sure about what he what he um what he actually does. And then I uh, was searching for some stuff, looking at you know different ways of you know sort of monetizing the stuff I already do, and was looking up how to how to sort of sell stock footage, and uh, typed that into Google, and look who showed up, but the man himself. And then yeah, I've just been shooting him questions ever since about this stock footage stuff. Um, and you know, he's the man that I've found, uh, at least in Chiang Mai, who, who knows what he's talking about with the stock footage stuff. But you're doing like a range of different things, uh, courses and um, ch- what is it, Chick Voyage. And yeah, I, can't, I don't even know like half the stuff you're doing. So what ca- what's sort of the brief overview of what you're doing at the moment uh well to keep it simple uh offline i do the traditional freelance videos once in a while uh i did one actually just last month over in bangkok okay and that's like working as a videographer yeah so i just did a corporate interview you know carried all my gear there filmed a two camera person interview but they wanted some some background of bangkok yeah. Right, and I already had some stock footage, but they they wanted more. So I worked it into the deal that you know I would take my drone and my camera, and I would spend some time outside of the video shoot to get some you know skyline shots and shots of uh, Bangkok landmarks. Yeah, and so I took my drone there and flew along the uh, the temples on the river, got some nice shots, and uh, so I included some of those shots, maybe like one shot into their video and now I can use those videos from Bangkok into uh, for my stock footage so that's awesome yeah and that's um, one of the things I've actually been thinking about recently is, is kind of diversifying your income because I think mm-hmm. one of the things with being a digital nomad is like if if we're back at home with our jobs and you know we've got employment law so we're pretty stable I mean like the job, you know, jobs aren't as stable as they, let's say, used to be 50 years ago or even 10 years ago, but you still have that stability. But when you're out here and maybe you've got a remote job or you're a freelancer, yeah. you know, there's a little bit more risk of, of, of earning income. So one of the things I've been really interested in is kind of diversifying your you, the ways you make money. And I think that's a great example when, you know, you're doing the courses as well. Just to go over the ways you're kind of... Oh, yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're using... It's all video, though, isn't it? Uh, well, okay, there's there's stock footage, which yeah. is licensing my videos. There's freelance videos. Yeah. And then I also teach online courses mm-hmm. in a video format. Uh, and the topic of these courses is I'll teach people how to do aerial video or stock footage video. So I basically teach people how... I make money or how I do specific types of video and I've also kind of dabbled in other things like Amazon Kindle books, Gumroad and uh, yes yeah, so I've got some other things but mainly like stock footage is my stock is my rock it's <laughs> my foundation and nice. the uh, yeah the online courses and freelance videos are the big three. Alright awesome. Yeah. Um, so what I like to do is to really get into the origin story and get behind 
and into the minds of, of uh, you know, the people out here who are being location independent and yeah. why they, you know, transitioned out of their previous lives. Like you said, you were working in IT um, previously. Yeah. So I want to go back to like, you were working at, you know, a standard job, correct? In IT, you know, you got to work at nine or early and left at five or later and did that Monday to Friday, is that correct? Uh, well, it's not as uh, cookie cutter as that. Oh, um, I was kind of essentially working like a dream job for like in IT yeah. in Vancouver. But my, uh, like my boss, she was from South Africa. She's pretty innovative. She started allowing us to work from home. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I actually had the freedom to work from home like two or three days a week. Nice. Work downtown. I was living downtown. Uh, so it wasn't a bad gig. Yeah. But yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't happy. I thought I would be happy like earning a good wage living downtown, um, you know, living that uh, bachelor ideal lifestyle that uh, guys in Vancouver would want to be doing. Yeah. yeah. Do you like working from home? Not really, sometimes, Yeah. but it's nice to have that separate space to, to go to, just to separate, yeah. you know, where you chill, where you work. Yeah, you're kind of, I know you as the apart from the video stuff is the coffee shop man you you, you have oh, a, yeah you have a few different spots here in Chiang Mai that you go to and um, yeah. uh, it seems like you really like that and maybe I was thinking we'd get to that um, you know in the interview but sure. you were working at this job you had three days I guess remote but you were just working from home right you weren't um, yeah I mean you can't really travel three days and then go back you know but I guess yeah. it did give you a bit of flexibility to start with yeah it was the I guess the beginning it's the start of location freedom being able to work from home is, is was the thing when you're working in an office you know mm-hmm. and of course when you work from home you've got the ability to do your laundry yeah. <laughs> while you're <laughs> exciting stuff, work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah as long as you get the work done yeah okay yeah. and so how did you transition from that into a more location independent lifestyle. Uh, well, that's a long story, but um, <laughs> you know, I had to do some soul searching, you know, figure okay. out uh, my passion. And I, I took my master's around this time, was in my early 30s. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I did the MBA program. And by the time I finished that, I did some travels in between the semesters. It was pretty stressful because I was working at the same time as, as a manager, a young manager. And by the time I finished the program, I, you know, I was ready to, I was really inspired to start my, my company and I was really into travel and I had, uh, you know, big plans to start this travel company in Vancouver. Okay. And so did you start the travel company or like, what's the... What happened next? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, uh, I created this business plan, yeah. uh, which was kind of the, you know, the, the grand uh, output of this MBA program. Yeah. Uh, but I was actually, I sold my apartment to get my first capital to start this business. And yeah, it didn't do very well. Uh, right. It failed, and but in the process, I hired a company to do a video, a promotional video for like the first tour. It was a luxury tour company, and I was just really into the videos that I first saw from this this company I hired, mm-hmm. and I noticed they were using a, a similar camera to what I was using, the Canon SLR. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I got more into it and, and started, um, I did my first grand trip to Asia with my SLR. Okay. Uh, so started filming and spent a whole lot of money, filmed a lot of video footage, yeah. came back to Vancouver, uh, ran out of money eventually and I needed to go back to job to uh, pay my credit card bill. And so there I, was, I went back to corporate, had a, in, uh, another good job with another good company yeah. uh, but for that whole year like I wasn't happy um, yeah. you know going to these meetings mm-hmm. and so yeah I was plotting out actually to go to Australia I had this this uh, dream to live and work in Australia okay uh, but it's not easy uh, to get the visas <laughs> to do a similar job in Australia okay 
and you would have worked in IT if you'd done that. Was is that correct, or something more in video? What you were moving towards? I hadn't figured out a, a way to monetize on video back then, so yeah. I was I was looking at IT just as that's my backbone and what I knew. Yeah. Uh, what I'd spent thirteen years building, but it just seemed like it was too hard, right? Like why? And I'd never traveled to Australia. Yeah. So I thought that's kind of stupid, you know. I want to, I want to just pack up everything and go to some country that I haven't actually been to. Yeah. So I thought, um, eventually decided on Taiwan, and uh, they had a one-year working holiday program. Okay. Which made it a whole uh, lot easier. And uh, and that's available for people of all ages, is it, or is that for? Um, specifically Canadians or uh, 35 or under uh, I think most Western countries I think Australia is on the list but uh, it just seemed so much easier to um, try Taiwan mm-hmm. and I already went there the like during that that grand Asia trip yeah. I spoke about for my friend's wedding so I'd already been there I knew I knew what to expect and yeah one year I didn't even know what a visa run was <laughs> um, yeah. Before going to Taiwan, okay. it was Taiwan. I sort of, you know, figured a lot of things out. Yeah. I didn't even know what a digital nomad was before I went to Taiwan. Yeah, it seems like that. That's actually my next question: is where, when, did, at what point did you figure or sort of have the idea of location independence? Was it something you were thinking at when you did that grand uh, tour of Asia, or was it as the movement became more popular, you started looking into it and were like, oh, okay. This is another way I can live outside my country, possibly travel and, and, and still make you know money money as you go. Well, I knew I needed to travel, uh, yeah. so I needed to be mobile. So I could I, at the time at a iMac, and you know these iMacs are like giant twenty seven inch screens. So I knew I wouldn't be able to travel with that to do my video editing. So yeah. downsized to a fifteen inch MacBook Pro Retina. Yeah, that, that gave me the ability to work from anywhere with a Wi-Fi connection and even without Wi-Fi if you're doing video editing. Right? Yeah. So that was that was the beginning of working outside of home. <laughs> yeah, and was there any uh, outside influence with that? Like, did you read any blogs or anything that, like that that sort of exposed you to that idea of working remotely? Or I guess maybe being in... IT, there's this, uh, I know at least from like web development perspective, like every web developer I've spoken to has done a stint, like every experienced web developer has at least done a stint working remotely and even, yeah, the ones I worked with, a few of them in my first job actually, a few of them uh, had been to Chiang Mai, been here and and worked here, so I guess it's more of a like, it's still within your peripheral vision I guess when you're working in IT even um, back then I don't know how long that was ago was how long ago was that uh, 2013 yeah definitely I'm sure there was many people back then <laughs> um, doing it only three years ago maybe there was but yeah. I was I was spending time on sites like expat arrivals Okay. I didn't know about nomads list back then so I, I was basically like comparing living costs and getting some idea of what it's like to live in Australia or Auckland um, but I didn't know what digital nomad was um, yeah. so I was kind of on this, this solo journey for a while until until um, yeah I bumped into my event, a friend from Canada that I met in Taiwan okay he, he introduced me to the term digital nomad and then that set me down a path well I came across Johnny FD yeah. who's you know, actually a big part of why I'm in Chiang Mai now and yeah. uh yeah, here I am. Yeah, it's funny, a lot of people um don't like using the term digital nomad and some people think that it's a buzzword, but I think yeah. that anything that puts a label on something that's already hard to describe in a few words. Yeah. You know, and I think that that gives people something to search and Definitely, I'm sure people have found my videos and my stuff by using the search terms digital nomad, and I'm sure you found Johnny's stuff by using digital nomad related, you know, searches. Yeah. Um, so I think that's actually 
I think that happens for a lot of people. They discover just just the words themselves, and yeah. that that just makes you think, okay, that if there's a word for this, then this must be a thing at least, right? Yeah, uh, uh, you think of okay, digital nomad. What what is that? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I don't like the term either, but by yeah doing some internet searches with that term, I got it introduced me to a whole new world, right? Yeah. Like the the nomads list. Hey, now we can see uh, cities that are ranked by things that are important to me. Yeah. Okay, so you were in Taiwan, and yeah. that's when you were kind of discovering all this stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Taiwan. I uh, actually went to Chinese school to learn Chinese from okay. uh, ground zero, pretty much, yeah. and doing some freelance videos, putting videos out on YouTube. Okay. Trying to uh, you know get my business off the ground and yeah you know start my dream. Okay, so what was the motivations during that time? It seems like from your story so far, it's very much that you found out that you wanted to travel and that was mm-hmm. something that you figured out that you wanted to have as a big part of your life. But the video stuff was it was that a big motivation as well? You kind of found a love for video, or was that just the tool to get you towards the travel or anything else that kind of motivated you um, to sort of achieving this lifestyle? Uh, it's like a combination of things. Yeah. The, um, I, I love travel, but I wanted to take it to the next level. And the next level was living abroad. Yeah. And uh, living abroad in a country where I didn't speak the uh, Chinese, right? Uh, was that challenging in Taiwan? Is it, I've never been there. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was challenging. You can get by, but um, yeah, I made things a little bit more challenging for myself by living in a in a suburb, a more remote area where I knew I would have to learn Chinese if I wanted to order food. Yeah. Right. Learn how to survive. Um, you'll learn very quickly. Okay. And do you speak like good Chinese now or? Uh, well, show it, Indian. I can count. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I can order like kind of survival Chinese, but yeah, yeah getting a little rusty uh, living in yeah. China. <laughs> well, there's a few Chinese people here. A lot of it's popular with Ch- um, Chinese tourists. I think maybe because yeah. they can get a direct flight here, and I know you can get a direct flight from Taipei now, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah Vier is um, yeah cheap round trip flight direct from Chiang Mai. Okay. Yeah, and Taiwan is a good hopping point to Japan. Oh, okay. Uh, or I discovered South Korea as well. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, Taiwan has a lot of good ingredients. It's, I, I guess it would be, it's a little bit more developed in Chiang Mai in many ways. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, you've seen that interview I did with Johnny. I think we've covered the, covered the main reasons why yeah. Chiang Mai is more suitable. Yeah, there's not much. I probably talk too much on this podcast about how great Chiang Mai is, but yeah, I, I've, I, I, it's hard for me to you know put, go past Chiang Mai, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're looking for the mix of everything that you would want. I mean, some people have a bigger preference towards certain things. Um, like some people, like Blake, we had on the show. Yeah. He's just like it was a no-brainer for him. He's just like, well, if I can work anywhere, I want to work on the beach <laughs> or near the beach yeah um, I love the beach but uh, and yeah a lot of people I guess the only complaint I hear about Chiang Mai actually is there's no beach or body of water nearby um, yeah but yeah it doesn't bother me too much it's probably because I've been spoiled with yeah you grew uh, up with the beach right yeah well it was only an hour away and where in Australia are you from uh, Brisbane oh okay yeah near the Gold Coast or yeah. Sunshine Coast is what yeah. do you guys prefer? Well, my parents live at the Gold Coast and we used to do family holidays there all the time. So, yeah, yeah. if you guys are listening and don't know the Gold Coast, definitely look that up. I think it's like a really underrated place, like on an international uh, level. Like a lot of, it doesn't get a lot of, um, I don't know, have you, you've, you've heard of it obviously, but you've been been there or? Yeah, um, yeah, I took a drive out there with my friend and yeah. uh, went to the Versace Hotel. Yeah. Oh yeah, I used to um, work there actually. You worked at Versace Hotel. <laughs> oh, what was that like? Oh, it was a function. Oh, jeez, I don't want to like get in trouble, but like um, 
let's just say they didn't really conform to workplace um, laws very much there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably going to get in trouble for that one. It's a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Joe, you listen to Joe Rogan? Uh, no, but everyone tells me I should listen to Joe yeah. Rogan, yeah. Yeah, those guys are doing it. They're drinking bottles of wine. They're talking yeah. about everything. Yeah. That, that's their form. They can talk about anything. Yeah. There's no, there's no one that's going to censor you on. This is your podcast. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess, what at what point did you go from IT in Taiwan? Were you doing IT in Taiwan? Yeah. That's the job you were doing, right? No, I had no, no, no job lined oh, okay. up for me when I went to Taiwan. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was, you kind of were like, a leap of faith, I'm gonna go to Taiwan, I'm gonna fund it with video. Is that your, what you were thinking? Uh, I had some savings. Yeah. And actually, uh, I, I booked a trip through Hawaii and then two and a half months in Australia and then a month in Singapore with my grandmother and hop, you know, hopped around the Malaysia and Bali before going to Taiwan. So okay. I depleted a lot of my funds. Yeah. Um, but, I, but during that trip, I actually did my first paid video for um, someone in Honolulu and Maui. Yeah. And I actually picked up another client for doing a website in Melbourne. Okay. Uh, so, I guess while I was on that trip, I just uh, I was a little bit more in hustle mode, and I I found there's more opportunities outside of Vancouver. Mm. So I, I had had a little bit of a few wins uh, yeah. under my belt before I, I came to Taiwan. And and you kind of got those off. Um, was that off your brand Chic Voyage or? Or like, were you you were building some sort of sort of brand, or were you yeah. finding jobs in classifieds and applying for them, or how did that work? Uh, well, I had my chicvoyageproductions.com website, and I think I had a lot of content on there by that time. I definitely had a lot of um, uh, travel videos, mm. uh, but for that that apartment video in Hawaii, I already uh, I filmed. I lived in a nice condo in Vancouver, and I filmed the uh, common area lounge. Yeah. And I used that video as a portfolio when I cold messaged the uh, the owner of um, who owned a, a group of nice condos in in Waikiki. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's uh, that's how I got that first gig. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so you're building that personal brand and, and kind of building that portfolio and and kind of scaling that up, I guess. Yeah, and I mean building up my confidence yeah right okay. i mean uh to that point i'd never done a paid video shoot in vancouver wow yeah so, so we, you must have been nervous the first time or or did it come naturally or what were you what was how'd that go i wasn't that nervous okay. um yeah i i guess working at the, the previous company mm-hmm. you know since it was so small uh two three hundred people i was used to doing like HR work and you know work of a manager, project manager. So I was used to wearing a lot of different hats. Okay. So I thought, oh, why can't I be a videographer, right? It was, uh, oh, nice. I, I'd already like filmed all those travel videos with my camera, and I'd already studied up. I went to Philip Bloom's uh, workshop. So I, I knew my stuff. Um, so all I knew I had to do is you know just try to uh, film a great video and make the customer happy, uh, which actually uh, is not that easy. Uh, you know when yeah. you're doing freelance videos, you never know what the client. Some clients are yeah. Well, it's a creative picky. yeah. It's a creative pursuit, right? So it's not like they can say, "Hey, make me a video, make it good." But then good is subjective, right? I mean, there's some things that I'm sure there's an objective level, but with yeah. anything creative, it's, it's, you know, it's one person's kind of taste against another's uh, in a way. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a good thing about YouTube. At the end of the day, like we could, you and I could do a duel now where we can both make a video on the same subject, put it up on YouTube and look at the retention curves. Um, so like yeah you will uh, probably win yeah <laughs> well we'll see we'll see um, but, but you know I guess that's that's great you can sort of validate stuff with data these days but um, yeah no with anything creative it's a bit 
it's a bit tough. And I guess any way you kind of mitigated that or dealt with that? Yeah, any tips for creative freelancing? Um, for... Yeah, for video or for any, like, creative pursuit. I think it would be, you know, a lot of that... Um, your video experience would, mm-hmm. um, you know, be relevant in something else. Um, like, definitely, like, photography, I'd say. You know, photography and video, a bit similar, you know? It's still visual. Mm-hmm. I, I do come across a lot of photographers that, with cameras that can do video, yeah. that are looking to get, you know, build, get started somewhere. And, I, you know, I would just say... You know, video is a lot more work, uh, but it's but it's got higher perceived value. Yeah. For example, if if you're selling a a photo on on a stock footage agency, I think they sell it five or ten bucks. Yeah. I mean, you take a photo. You I mean, you frame it. You get the right settings, and you and you press the shutter button. But the video, it's you know, you gotta you do the same things. Frame it. Get the settings. Then press record. And then you're recording for however much long, and then you got edited. It's just a lot more work, but yeah. you get a higher return when it comes to selling photos versus footage. And also, if you're creating an online course with video, that online course is going to sell for much more if you just create, well, I guess photos, you can't create a course, right? Yeah. Um, There's a lot more you can do with video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but tips for freelancing, I would say, like, if you want to find that first client, definitely get your basics, have a website, have a portfolio, try to have a, a video that's related to uh, the client, the client's uh, need. Like, if it's real estate, have uh, a video of apartment or a house that you yeah. can show them. And if you haven't, do one for free. Yeah. Right? But know what type of video you want to do. Uh, I'd also say make sure like if you do find that customer make sure that you have a, a good idea of what you want so you can use sample videos ask them what videos do you like so you get an idea yeah. what videos do they like so you take away that guesswork mm-hmm. um, and what style they like and then you got to spend time figuring out like okay how long is this video and uh, what what is this video for is it for training or is it a promotional video and yeah I can get a lot in that step but the more time you spend at the beginning the less uh, guesswork will be after you've already filmed it and they're going, oh, why didn't you uh, film this and that? Oh, well, this is the shot list that you wanted. Yeah. Right? So a shot list is a good idea. Okay. Um, and you can do what we call video treatments. So you can kind of script out uh, what the video is going to be. You can even do scene by scene. Okay. Uh, and usually videos like most videos are between two to three minutes so it doesn't take it's it's not like creating an online course to create one of these uh like video treatments but at least Mm -hmm. it's very clear what's going to happen in this video so by the time you actually go out there film the video Mm -hmm. you already know all the shots um so like if the client goes oh you missed a shot you already have something you can uh, fall back on. Okay. And I guess when it comes to being location independent, it's uh, it's a bit tough, isn't it, to uh, sort of be in a position where you can make videos for somebody. Like, say, for instance, if somebody in Vancouver said to you, hey, yeah. can you make me a video? Yeah. And you're out here. You can't really do that, right? I actually so. said someone um, contact me recently about a, a video in Vancouver <laughs> and um, you're considering it or I did uh, it didn't work out in the end but um, you know it would have been awesome it would, you know it was gonna be an, a wedding aerial video oh, nice. end of July Vancouver summertime yeah but um, I would have definitely you know gone out there not to make with the you know purpose of making money but to, to go back and visit my family and friends Nice. Uh, maybe renew uh, another six month tourist visa. Okay. Yeah, just to go back for a visit and have cover mm-hmm. some of the costs. Okay, but I guess the way that you're staying location independent is mainly through 
the, the more passive streams uh, like video, uh, sorry, stock video mm-hmm. and uh, the courses. Is that, that correct? Yeah, I mean, like, again, stock is my rock. So, yeah. I mean, stock footage, online courses, like they're covering my living expenses. Yeah. And I'm doing freelance videos, um, you know, like uh, pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I around I, Asia or yeah. Um, well, I did actually. I I did uh, three or four in Chiang Mai. Oh, nice. Um, last quarter or last quarter of uh, twenty fifteen, and uh, yeah, I did one in Vancouver. Uh, drone video of uh, solar panels. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, just wrapped up one in Bangkok. Um, so if you're starting an online business with video. Uh, I recommend that you, you also don't don't just rely on online income. Uh, freelance okay. videos are, are a great way to uh, earn income and you also learn with each project. And uh, I guess what's the reason behind uh, Chiang Mai? You've been here a while now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, how long have you been here for? Uh, I think 11 months. So yeah, why Chiang Mai? Why Chiang Mai? Because Johnny's here. Oh yeah. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> well, Taiwan. I was, you know, by the time I met Johnny, like this is the phase where I discovered digital nomad. Yeah. And I was working on my own in Taiwan. Like, um, you know, there was a period where after I stopped uh, learning Chinese. I had to pay the bills and I hadn't figured out how to make money off my videos or I was still scaling. Yeah, it was a pretty lonely journey, you know, like, you know, like uh, there wasn't too many people I found that were doing something similar or doing an online business. I was, you know, I just felt like, hey man, uh, I'm like in this foreign country and and by that time I started teaching English and I was taking away a lot of my energy and my time and um, I started listening to podcasts and um, through the podcast I discovered different online business models and yeah then I started searching um, you know other countries to work from and uh, Nomad's List List of Chiang Mai is number one so I mean that that's the the long the long version to your answer Um, So it was Nomad's List and the combination of the content of Johnny uh, Johnny FD put out there just took, took away a lot of the guesswork. And uh, I already kept come here for a visit before I decided to move. And yeah, and the apartments the apartments I saw were so nice compared to Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, that is one of the drawbacks. Like your money goes a lot further in Chiang Mai and yeah. you can live a lot more comfortably than you can in Taiwan. Taiwan has a lot of... In, in almost always, Taiwan is more developed, but the buildings are just on average a lot older. So like things like an elevator, having thicker walls so you don't hear the neighbors, just getting more more space, kind of getting a, a place you can live that's similar to what you're used to back in a, a Western country. Yeah. Uh, Chiang Mai just had that, so it's easy to find a good place to live and there's a community here. Yeah. And um, yeah, they got co work spaces, so it's easy to find places to work. Awesome. And did you meet Johnny or you just found his content in Taiwan? Because he was there, he, he did a border run there, I think, or visa run back in the day. Was Did you meet Did you meet him when, when he was over there or you just found his stuff online? Uh, yeah, it was actually 2015. I was at the, the Maker Bar, uh, oh, which is a co work space in Taipei. If you're ever visiting there, it's a Okay. One, it's actually a one one of the only co-work spaces um, okay. over there. And I was listening to Johnny's podcast, and I heard that he's coming to Taiwan. Yeah. With Larissa, so I'm like, hey, uh, hey, and I just just so happened he hadn't came to Taiwan yet, so I ended up meeting with him and uh, uh, yeah, hung out a bit, and then um, yeah, awesome. learned more about Chiang Mai. Yeah, and then after that conversation, I guess you were convinced. Yeah, after the visits and uh, meeting him, like definitely, yeah, I knew, I definitely wanted to take take the the move from Taiwan. Okay, well, you mentioned the the co working culture here, and um, yeah, as I said earlier in the podcast, you know, that you're the coffee shop man. You got your different coffee shop man. Yeah, <laughs> you got your different uh, 
you know, coffee uh, cafes that you go to and work from. And um, yes, you keep, you keep them pretty secret as well. I'm like, oh, what's this one? And yeah, yeah, this is my little spot, don't you? <laughs> Back uh, off, Chris. But like, um, yeah. Did I do that scene? <laughs> Some other guys. No, I got, no, I got I'm exaggerating. I'm exaggerating. I share a lot, but I gotta keep. I gotta keep a couple in my back pocket. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, is that that's something that's important to you? Is um, is kind of what like what is it about cafe working out at different cafes that yeah, that you like? Yeah, it makes it fun, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm a lifestyle guy. Yeah. And it's not just about like I don't I don't know I think about pun space and you know do I want to pay a little bit more expensive fee to work at the same place every day yeah uh, I like that option to work somewhere else yeah. and so that's why I still work at, at Mana but I always have that option like I'm not tied down to to work I'm not obligated to work there every day I yeah. have the option to choose somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but you know, like some places you go to in Chiang Mai, and you just get inspiration. You're like, man, this place is uh, so beautiful. Like, look at the look at the desk and the, the beautiful mountain view. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every space is different, and and I think it's whatever you get inspired by. Yeah. If you're inspired to work, then that's I think that's the important thing at the end of the day. Yeah. There's this whole trend now that I'm seeing office of the day and I feel like man I should get on this trend <laughs> um, but like I'm honestly like we're, we're, film, we're recording this at pun space near Man, yeah. uh, and this is the place like I pretty much live out of here <laughs> um, I was telling Greg I've been here since uh, 7.30 probably this morning like uh, maybe no let's say eight um closer to eight and yeah like now it's like nine twenty two. yeah yeah um but i mean I've, i'm gonna bring you a beer yeah <laughs> i'm like yeah i mean i'm it's back into it tomorrow as well so um i was just worried if i had a beer i'd fall asleep because <laughs> beer yeah. makes me drowsy oh, um yeah but, um yeah i mean i i didn't leave Australia to avoid working in an office but it's definitely um, great if, if you're into that definitely great to like have that flexibility and have that um, kind of variety I guess you know it is a bit boring coming to the same place every day but yeah. there's a reliability factor there and I, I guess it's just like what you're into and that's actually the great thing about Chiang Mai is um, like my initial experience with being a digital nomad was in Bali right okay. and they don't have great internet in Bali to start with so there's not this um, working in cafes culture right yeah and so the community is very much revolving around these co-working spaces at least I found um, because they're the places where people work they're the only places where the stable internet is they're the only comfortable places to work apart from maybe home and when I came to Chiang Mai, I was just like, oh, this is a bit, it's a bit different, right? Like, there's a huge community here, right? But they connect through different means and Facebook groups and, um, and uh, yeah, there's not so much the culture around any particular co-working space. There's not really any co-working space I know here that has events. Probably like uh, Pun Space Tape Gate, I think, has... Once Some in a while. Yeah, once in a while. Yeah, you've got some stories of Pun Space Tape Gate, right? Uh, well, one, one story. There's one funny event at Tapai Gate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Fiverr one, right? Fiverr, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone will, I think most people will tell you that that was probably the funnest event. Yeah, I'm seeing people coming in with like shirts with Fiverr written on them, and I'm like, that must have been from that event, eh? Yeah. <laughs> you know what they did? Yeah. They gave away um, free t-shirts, uh, like like the uh, free quality like cloth bags you can actually reuse. And they had a fridge full of beer. Yeah. Um, and actually had really good Thai food with brown rice. And they didn't have any boring talk. Yeah. It's just an invitation to come to Thai space to eat, drink, and get free, uh, free stuff. Yeah. But... People are still talking about it. Yeah. There's that uh, the Amazon FBA talk. Yeah. Like it was boring and you couldn't hear what they were saying. Mm. There's no no beer. Like 
like do you I don't know <laughs> I like how can you have an event without beer like yeah. come on come on <laughs> oh awesome getting back to the work stuff yeah um I, I there was something on my mind actually after our conversation we just had um dinner together and and you talked about you know um sort of giving me some advice into like you know f- focus on what you're good at right and yeah. um you know I obviously do a bit of video and and today I got to 2,000 subscribers on the channel just got to hey, 2,000 yeah 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 um, um, when I started out I was just like 2,000 was like what I wanted and I thought if I can get 2,000 I have a legitimate channel like I don't know why I just thought 2,000 meant that you have a legitimate channel like and I'm not trying to put down anybody who has like less than 2,000 or anything but that that to me was just the number I chose I think I saw some people and I thought yeah that you know, there's a serious YouTubers that <laughs> have 2000 minimum, but is that something, obviously that's something that you think is important to sort of, um, and, and what kind of businesses that you choose to go into, you look at your, I guess, certain predispositions, certain strengths and, and, and go into that. Um, and then I guess you found video was motivated by, I guess, passion at the start and then you yeah. kind of build those skills. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it starts with passion. I mean, yeah. if there's one thing I, I've seen in Chiang Mai that I would like people to do a little bit more is is to follow their passions. Um, you know, we're all here to build business. Well, mm-hmm. digital mats here are here to, you know, build business. But I see a lot of people just chasing the money. Yeah. Uh, you know, so dropship this, FBA this. Yeah. Um, you know, but. I think you can still do well with with a passion, and if you know how to use the online uh, tools and platforms, yeah, and you play to your strengths, um, you know that's something I'm still working on. I'd like to be able to um, you know prove that if you follow your passions, you you can be successful. I had some some wins, and now I want to take it to the next level. Yeah. But uh, I mean, if you already have a camera, and you can film video, you have those skills. Yeah. It just so happens that you know there there was a platform called Udemy that was around two years ago. Yeah. Uh, so if you knew how to film video, you were already, I mean, you already had that advantage over some teacher or someone you know off the street that had no yeah. camera that could do video or knew how to do or edit video. You know, you, you had that advantage over them. So I think you already have that and you film a course that you can leverage what you've created and put it on other platforms. I think there is enough opportunities for the video creator now. They can build their own business. And like uh, Phil Ebner, you're going to ask me at the end of the <laughs> the podcast who I should recommend to interview. Yeah, Rob Coven. He introduced me to the Udemy world. But uh, by following him, I learned that if you create an online course with video, you can leverage all the time and work it takes for that video and then you can sell it on other platforms like Skillshare, you can create your own online school, all of that same, uh, those video lessons that you've, you've created. And then recently, uh, Johnny FD yeah. created a blog post, right? He uh, had a contact to a Udemy competitor and I actually contacted that you know, I followed that link, yeah. and now I'm gonna get a thousand bucks for four courses I had already created. I, all I gotta do is just send the Dropbox link. Wow. That reminds me, I gotta send that. To you. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. So none of these platforms have exclusive, like they don't make you form an exclusive uh, contract with them for the content. Uh, it varies, like. I mean, with some stock footage agencies, they do. They'll give you a higher cut for exclusivity, but in my opinion, it's it's better just to stay non-exclusive. With the online teaching platforms, I think, yeah, like Amazon Video Direct, Udemy, Skillshare, and Teachable, they're all non-exclusive. Nice. So we talked about the Udemy stuff. We talked about the freelancing. Um, what, are you, what are your tips for, like, stock... Uh, stock um, footage yeah we were initially talking about stock footage and I was just like oh yeah I got some footage I'll throw it online but then yeah. looking at your stuff I'm like oh okay you've actually taken some thought 
And I think I asked you, like, do you take footage with the intention of stock? And you said, yes, definitely. Yes. So do you have to be, do you think you have to be a world traveler and get this variety of footage to um, sort of make a living off that? Or just um, is there certain things that people can film now that might, you know, result in sales? Mm. Uh, yeah, so I think you, you mentioned the first tip. So stock footage is if you want to sell your footage on, on agencies online. So uh, the first thing is you, I, when you film your video, you have to go out there with a plan that you're filming stock footage. And what that means is that if you're filming a, a video of someone or something, let's just say it's a digital nomad working on a laptop, you got to film that video clip for at least 10 to 15 seconds. Okay. And some of the agencies like it if you use a tripod. So yeah. Yeah, I got to take a little bit more time to set up and frame that shot. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're like traveling and you don't have a plan, you're like, you know, you're doing like selfies and yeah. vlogs <laughs> and kind of just holding the camera up like, you know, like, hey, I'm over here and... Uh, you're yeah. telling me that somebody is not going to go on those sites and buy like 50 videos of, of, of selfies, you know what I mean? You never know. Oh, um, but you'd, you'd have to sign your own, your own uh, model release. Yeah. Actually, you know, I'm, I have never put up a selfie. Uh, actually, I've sold video shots where I'm the actor. Yeah. Uh, that's something anyone can definitely try. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, I'll, I'll go... Uh, some video clips I've sold is that I had access to a gym in my condo right yeah. like how often you get private access to gyms so I filmed myself like a selfie of me working out with weights um, and I sold video clips of that nice um, one of my most popular clips was in the wind in Las Vegas I just yeah. set the camera up uh, Canon 5D um, in the middle of the wind and I just walked past the counter of my friend and I walked back <laughs> so I'm in that video and that's that's got a lot of sales um, wow yeah and do you know who's actually buying the stuff or it doesn't really tell you yeah it doesn't really tell you so you don't own the customer which is yeah, um, yeah something I'd like to uh, yeah I'd eventually like to I was thinking about having my own agency yeah. Um, that's sort of that black box, right? Yeah. But I mean, from what you, you read, like these customers are, it could be directors who are looking for like establishing shots, like um, the B-roll for their movies, or it could yeah. be uh, media companies that are looking for B-roll for their ads. Yeah, or corporate companies that are looking to create their own in-house videos. It's just cheaper to get a particular shot like if it's in Australia and they're in the US yeah. you know a shot of the Sydney Opera House from me or, yeah. not, or not just me but anyone uh, that shot that shot rather than hire a videographer to go out there okay. and for like say for instance people listening at home they're like wow I want to put some footage online yeah. what do you what do you kind of need to get started do you um, do you need a particular camera or do you need to set it in particular settings do you need to edit it um, what, what's sort of the get starter well there's there's a good article on uh, Shutterstock it does a good camera roundup like everything oh. starting from smartphones to like your really your, your top of the echelon of, of uh, broadcast cameras yeah. uh, I use Canon SLR which films HD. I definitely recommend what whatever you use to film does uh, 1080p. Yeah. Uh, I film at 24 frames per second, but if you some of these cameras these days, even the smartphones, you can film at 1080p. I think 120 frames per second and do super slow mo. Yeah. Everything looks good in in uh, slow mo, right? Yeah. Super slow mo. <laughs> um, so I think you need to add creativity to add production value, whether it's super slow-mo or if you use a, a dolly. Uh, I've even sold a lot of handheld video shots uh, that have stabilized in post-production. Mm. So what was the question again? What do you need to get started? Yeah, and I guess you've got, you've got courses on this stuff, right? Yeah. 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 Um, 
and we'll link to that at the end for sure. Yeah, the advantage of my courses is that as I teach the workflows. Um, yeah. So I think it's uh, very important to build up your collection to at least a thousand video clips, okay. and these video clips should range from ten to fifteen seconds long. And you're surprised you can like build that collection up very quickly. But what I think a lot of the barrier that a lot of people have is after they filmed it, they're like, uh, okay, this footage is on my hard drive. I don't want to touch it, right? Yeah. Um, but after that, you need to cut up those raw video clips into usable stock footage clips. Yeah. But if you done, if you know you're gonna shoot stock footage from the beginning, right? This is what I do. I'll I'll film it with the intent of doing stock footage, so it's ten to fifteen second clips on a tripod. Yeah. So when I'm editing, that there's not that much editing to do. I just might need to do some sharpening or you know add a little bit of saturation. And then when you export the clips, you gotta keyword and tag them, um, and that's part of that workflow. Yeah. Uh, to get them where they're online ready to sell that trips a lot of people up yeah. and that's that's where if you already know how to shoot good footage that's where my courses will really help out it's on the workflows and the, the course I created this year was dealing with 4k footage and some of the newer agencies like every agency has like a like their own back, back end that's a little bit different to use like Shutterstocks is annoying because you'll you'll submit your footage, you'll tag them and everything, you hit submit, and then you'll get these messages complaining about something, right? Uh, you get these bright red texts, yeah. but all it's asking is they're just trying to make sure you've double checked everything, so you just gotta highlight everything again and submit the second time. But if you don't know that, you you'll you might get stuck at that step, and yeah. you're like, what the. Yeah. I give up, right? Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, we could probably talk about this to the cows come home, but it's uh, approaching my bedtime, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you want to learn more about, you know, Greg's stuff and all of his courses and stuff, um, listen to the end. Um, I'll be mentioning all the different resources and everything we've mentioned in this podcast. Um, but I just want to say thanks for being on the on the show, Greg. And um, thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah. guys thanks for listening if you want to find out more about greg as well as everything else we've just talked about in today's episode you can find all of that information and more in the show notes just head to christofreelancer.com slash podcast slash greg dash hunt that's christofreelancer.com slash podcast slash g-r-e-g dash h-u-n-g as always thanks for listening and be sure to hit subscribe And we hope to see you in the next episode with another interview with a digital nomad.